You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, your pal in the Katie Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season's been a lot different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you've been watching this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real channel that Pepsi fuels, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. And today I want to talk to you about something very specific. I want to talk about time of possession. It's kind of defined a lot of the games that the Vikings have had, and I have some thoughts about how to utilize time of possession, how to think about time of possession, and some alternatives to time of possession that convey the same concepts we're usually trying to get at when we talk about time of possession. So we're going to talk a lot about that, but first, we've got a bunch of news. We also have your Twitter Tuesday, so I've got a bunch of your questions coming in. We have a ton to jam into this episode, so let's dive into it. And the first thing we have to talk about is AJ Dillon, the Packers running back, tested positive for COVID-19. And it was another one of these really, really unfortunately timed things where he didn't have enough of a viral load to test positive on Saturday and be held out of the game. But the test he took Sunday morning, which is one they quick uh, fit in right before they go out there so that they know if they, you know, if they have to shut down the facility on Monday, which is what the Packers did. So he played the game positive for COVID-19 and we didn't find out until later. So the Vikings had to do their intensive protocol where they shut down the facility. They still did everything that most of the Monday stuff is like film review. You can do all that remotely. So they, they haven't like missed anything very important yet. Uh, but you know, now we have to see what happens. We have to see for all the, all the positives, no positives on the Vikings yet. But if, you know, AJ Dillon transmitted coronavirus to somebody on the Vikings, they wouldn't test positive yet. It would take some time. And that can be anywhere from, you know, a, a couple of days to 10 days. I mean, it's it's really difficult to predict this kind of thing. So we kind of just have to hold our breath every morning until we get the results from the previous day's COVID tests and see if anybody actually got it. Uh, you know, the Packers are doing some other contacts traced based quarantine. They're, they're having like Kamal Martin and some other people that uh, I think frequently practice and hang out with AJ Dillon. Uh, also are, are quarantining just to be safe because they thought they had enough exposure and they were like higher risk. Nobody like that on the Vikings. And hopefully what we found out in the Titans game also remains true that, you know, playing against somebody and tackling them for one second, and then walking away isn't enough exposure for like the virus to transmit. But we just don't know enough of that for sure. So we kind of just have to hold our breath for all these tests and monitor the situation as it goes forward. In much brighter news, uh, Mike Zimmer said that Cameron Dantzler is doing really well and he might play. I don't know if he's in the concussion protocol or not. I don't know if that's clear, but he did say that Dantzler has a chance to play on Sunday. Uh, he, if if not Sunday against the Lions, hopefully he'll be back Sunday again, the next Sunday against the Bears. So hopefully we don't lose Cameron Dantzler for too long. And it seems like we kind of dodged a major bullet there, but we won't know exactly how this banged up cornerback room is going to look until we see that first injury report on Wednesday, even if it's uh, an estimated injury report because they have to have the facility shut down. It'll still give us a sense for how the Vikings are looking at that cornerback room and kind of what their expectations are for all these injured players. 
I also want to talk about the uh, the Tankathon update. I mean, this is it's Tuesday, right? So we got to talk a little bit about it. So the Vikings won. Of course, that ruins their draft position. You might be really, really upset about that. Personally, I say, eh, chill. You'll be okay. But the Vikings pick 10th now. Uh, and instead of, of picking 6th, which is like where they were before. So they won their way past teams like the Chargers and New England. Both of them uh, took losses as well as Washington. They're now like fully behind like Dallas and uh, they're still behind like Atlanta uh, because Atlanta hasn't had their buy yet. So that's a little bit weird. Uh, the Houston pick that's going to Miami, Jacksonville, the Giants and the Jets are the only teams left that are like outright. The, the, a lot of the rest of this is with tiebreakers like uh, the Chargers, New England, Minnesota, all two and five. So that might reshuffle as tiebreakers change over the course of the year. But what we really have to pay attention to now is Houston, Jacksonville, the Giants, and the Jets. Those are the teams that we want to, like, hope win more games if we want to get past them. Or we can hope, we didn't really get this on Monday night, but we can hope that something happens where, like, Sam Darnold plays well enough where the Jets don't think they need a quarterback. Or, you know, maybe Daniel Jones, or maybe Gardner Minshew does, or maybe, you know, we know Tua will. So, you know, the Houston-Miami pick, we're actually okay with that one being there because at least that's a trade-up partner. And if we do end up, you know, picking 12th and wanting a quarterback, we still have an avenue through which to do that. And finally, I want to talk about the trade deadline. There has not been a lot coming out of Minnesota about the trade deadline, which might be disappointing because I know a lot of people wanted to scrap this thing for parts. I mean, I know I made plenty of content about it, so I probably fed into that hysteria a little bit too. Uh, But it doesn't sound like a lot is coming out. There's been some... player for pick trades going on, you know, Desmond King getting uh, passed off for a sixth round pick, Quan Alexander. These are guys in the last functional year of their contracts or guys with, you know, contracts that teams are trying to sh- trying to shed and they're not getting much uh, in return. You know, when I wrote a piece about scrapping the thing for parts, I said you could maybe get like a fourth back for Kyle Rudolph and a seventh. That The way the market is looking right now, that seems optimistic, and it probably would be for less. I mean, you're really just dumping your contract off on somebody else, and if you can get a conditional sixth back, you'll be happy for it. So I don't think the Vikings are in on that market. They seem to really want to you know, get that inf- infusion of youth if they are going to get rid of somebody. So I think it's, it sounds like they're going to be more conservative, but the trade deadline is at 3 o'clock Central uh, on Tuesday. So 3 o'clock Central check your phone, see if anything happened. And uh, if something did, we'll talk about it on Wednesday. If we don't talk about it on Wednesday, however, we will talk about Dalvin Cook. That is going to be a Dalvin Cook special day. The uh, the run blocking, the whole thing, we'll, we'll kind of dive into the Packers game and talk a little bit more about it because today's episode, of course, you know, Tuesday episode, we tend to get a little bit more abstract. We go a little more big picture with that kind of stuff. So we are going to talk next about time of possession and kind of how it's been defining the season and just like some general stuff about time of possession that I I think is important to think about, especially since it's becoming such a narrative over the season. And then don't forget, we have your Twitter Tuesday questions coming as well. So if you asked a question and if you want to get in on that in the future, you know, you can look out for my tweet sometime every Monday from at Luke Braun NFL. And hey, the Vikings on Sunday, they finally broke through their wall. They finally beat the Green Bay Packers, something they couldn't do since 2018, since that Sunday night football game in, in 2018 around Thanksgiving. And if you have a wall that you you yourself are struggling to break through, be it a mental wall or a physical wall, Built Go can be the solution to breaking through it. It can give you good energy, good focus, and without the crash later, kind of like a five-hour energy without all the drawbacks. It comes in this really easy-to-take, like 1.5-ounce package. It's a little gel. You can put it in a smoothie. You can just house it on its own. And you can put it in your briefcase, put it in your golf bag, power through your day however you have to 
comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. And it gives you this really nice natural high of energy. And the reason it works that way is because it uses something called collagen protein, which is this fast absorbing protein that gets in your system fast. It's easy on the stomach and it promotes joint, soft tissue, hell, hair, and, uh, and skin health. The stuff literally makes you look better. And the energy comes from, I think the big thing is B6 and B12 vitamins, uh, 10,000% of your daily intake of those, as well as beta alanine, B3, honey, and a little kick of caffeine. So if you want to try that out for yourself, go to builtgo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at builtgo.com. Let's go. All right, let us discuss time of possession. So time of possession is something that has kind of defined a lot of games. If you remember all of the narrative coming out of the week one and week two games was that the Vikings didn't have any time of possession and then the defense would get tired and it was kind of used as an excuse for the defense. And then time of possession, you know, they kind of did a lot better on it against like the Texans and and then they did really well on it in this game. And time of possession has kind of been like, if you have it, you, you win. And if you don't have it, you lose. And that's kind of been the narrative of the season. But I am not a fan of time of possession as as a metric, and it's really disappointing for me to hear Mike Zimmer talk about it because I think I, I like I, I I think I get the point that he's trying to make, but it seems like a really outdated way of getting there. And so I kind of wanted to have a larger discussion about the concept of time of possession and how the Vikings can utilize the idea of time of possession to their advantage and why what they're doing isn't necessarily wrong. It's just more of a, a means to an end issue that I have. But here's the deal. So the big thing with like time of possession and the way that we usually talk about it, you usually talk about it, well, you know, you want to keep the ball a long time. You want to chew out a bunch of clocks so you can keep the opposing quarterback off the field. You hear that a ton, right? If you're going up against Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or, you know, these legacy quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, you'll say, well, you know, the way to beat Patrick Mahomes is to keep him on the bench, you know, dominate time of possession, you know, grind out clock, you know, get these long sustained drives and keep your defense off the field. That's the best way to keep yourself from from kind of getting wrecked by by this elite quarterback. And that doesn't add up to me at all. I never understood that because you can't keep Patrick Mahomes off the field by having a long drive. You can just delay him, but he's going to get on the field eventually, like no matter what, even if it's, you know, an onside kick or something. Every team will get a, an opportunity to possess the ball after you do. It always goes back and forth. Now, you could get an onside kick and kind of, uh, you know, deny them that or do something weird. Or Kirk Cousins can, you know, throw an interception and it doesn't really feel that way. But everybody will alternate possessions forever. And if you do want to, you know, shorten the game, as it were, and have fewer possessions, you're doing so at the cost of your own opportunities to score as well. So, like, manipulating time of possession isn't really something that you can do, on, like, strategically on offense outside of just generically playing well. Like, if you thought about it, it's like, okay, we're going to do an offensive strategy, and instead of getting yards and getting points and stuff, our goal is good. Let's say, you know, you had some weird skill challenge where the goal, instead of scoring points, was to maximize time of possession. What offensive strategy would you use there? You could say like, well, you know, you'd probably run the ball a little bit more or something like that. But by and large, your goal would kind of still be the same. You'd want to get first downs. You want to get long sustained drives. You'd want to go all the way down the field. And, and you know, you want to keep converting, moving the chains and giving yourself more opportunities to, to chew clock. And there is some merit to shortening the game. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But really, it doesn't like change the plays that you would call or anything like that, except maybe you would run a little bit more. But by and large, if you want to increase your time of possession, you probably just want to increase your production in general. And I mean, you know, passing for three first downs is going to take more time off of the clock 
than, you know, running three times and punting right away, right? If you, you know, pass all the time and you keep converting and moving the chains, a long drive is going to be better than a short drive that was three runs, right? So you're probably just going to want to focus on whatever it is makes you produce better. And you were already planning on doing that. So like, quote unquote, emphasizing time of possession doesn't seem like it's going to change your strategy that much, except for emphasizing the run game. And a big thing about emphasizing the run game is a lot of people say, well, that's going to, you know, kind of get you fatigued. You, know, you want to wear the defense down. You want to grind the defense down. And this isn't very well studied. Like fatigue in the NFL isn't very well studied. And I think part of it is because it's like common sense, right? Well, of course, you know, football is a very taxing game. Of course, you're going to get tired as the game wears on. But on the other hand, NFL athletes are world-class human <laughs> specimens that can do feats of athleticism that most of us couldn't even dream of. So are they really going to get tired? after three hours running around on a field? Like, can't they kind of handle it? And I, I think the answer to that, and I'll link a study in the show notes that kind of uh, goes through this. I think the answer to that actually does vary player to player. Some players can run around and, you know, it depends on, on uh, you know, the rotation. It depends on their role. If you're a, a go ball wide receiver and you have to play 50 snaps, you're probably going to get pretty tired. But then again, you're going to be kind of a track star type. So maybe you can handle all that distance versus, you know, if you're a, a big giant nose tackle, you don't have to run around as much. But if it's against a quarter quarterback that makes you run around a lot and maybe you get a little bit more winded in some games than in others and it kind of varies player to player. But I think the weirdest thing about rest and fatigue to me is the idea that time of possession is correlated with rest. You know, if you if you hear them say, oh, you know, the, the defense has been on the field for 28 of the 40 minutes of the game so far, they're going to be so tired. What you're really getting at is play count. And I think you should always use play count as a substitute for time of possession when you're trying to get the idea that, oh, the, 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 the players are getting tired. You play more plays, you get more tired. That should make sense. But the actual game clock doesn't have a lot to do with that. Because here's the thing. If you do throw an incomplete pass, and I hear this all the time, it's a pet peeve of mine. You know, you'll, you'll see a, a team's trying to kill clock with a lead and they throw three incomplete passes accidentally and they only take 10 seconds off the clock and you're going, oh my God, now the defense is going to be so tired. They only had 10 seconds of rest. And they kind of, they had more than 10 seconds of rest. Like they can rest when the clock is stopped. Like I, I feel like people forget that sometimes. And it's weird that I have to say that. But yeah, they, the, the clock doesn't have to be going for the defense to be resting. For example, I looked up a game, a recent game, Bears-Falcons a few weeks ago. Uh, that was one where the Bears were making a comeback. They go down, get a touchdown. The Falcons get one of those stupid short drives. They punt, Bears go down and get a touchdown, right? The rest in that, the, the stupid Falcons punt drive where they failed to chew enough clock took 20 seconds off the clock. In real life time, that took seven minutes and 15 seconds, which is a lot of time when you're just trying to catch your breath. Seven minutes and 15 seconds is forever for NFL caliber athletes to catch their breath. And that's also not in counting, not counting commercial time. I, I, I went on Game Pass to find that and Game Pass cuts out the commercials. So it was actually probably close to like 10 or 11 minutes. And 10 or 11 minutes in a like workout context is a lot of rest. It's a lot different than the 22 seconds you would think. So don't use the game clock. Again, think about... Uh, you know, stoppages, think about time if you're thinking about like fatigue and rest and stuff like that. And think about play call when it comes to wearing the defense down. If you want to call a lot of plays and sustain a long drive, do what you have to do to get first downs. Don't just default to the thing that takes up more game clock. That doesn't have anything to do with rest. If anything, a big, long, incomplete pass would give a defense more rest because you have to go chase down the ball or go get a new one. And the procedure of that is going to lead to more clock stoppage and more delay than a running play where the play clock starts right up again and you have a maximum four seconds to catch your breath. But I think the thing that the, the Vikings use here, and this is what I think Mike Zimmer's getting at, and he's talking about like shortening the game and like wearing them out and all the kind of cliche stuff that I just like debunked. But 
I, I think what he's also talking about with shortening the game kind of worked to their advantage in this Green Bay game because it made the sample smaller. So imagine like an NBA playoff series, right? A best of seven series. The better team wins that series most often, right? You get one fluky win in there and then the other team wins four to one or something like that. But by and large, you know, you, of course there are still upsets, otherwise why watch? But by and large, that's a much better way to get the favorite to win way more often. Favorites are going to win a best of seven series more than they're going to win any randomly selected game within that series. And you think about like the NFL playoffs where you can get stuff like Eli Manning beating the beating the 16-0 Patriots, things like, hey, the Vikings beating the Saints. That was a huge upset. Do you think the Vikings win a best of three against those Saints or a best of seven against those Saints? Maybe not, but that's kind of how the NFL goes. And I think you're trying to, to pursue the same logic when it comes to uh, you know, like shortening the game and chewing out a bunch of clock. And because of the windy nature of the game and the fact that it was all run plays, this game was shortened a lot. The average game gets 10 possessions per team. You have 10 chances to score per team. In this game, the Packers had eight chances to score and the Vikings had seven chances to score. But all of the Packers' chances to score were not quality chances to score. One of them, that includes the dumb little possession they had at the end of the half. They had like 25 seconds, they ran one play, and they went to the locker room. That also includes the final possession, which was very much also warped by game situation, and that made things easier for the defense, which we'll probably talk about a little bit more in depth tomorrow. And so they only really had six like quality, like neutral attempts to score. And since the Vikings scored on four of their seven possessions, that meant that the defense only needed to get three stops against Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think it's a lot easier to ask, you know, for three stops than it is to ask, all right, you're going to get 10 possessions and you need to stop six of them because you can only f score four times, right? I think it's a lot easier to ask in that small sample size because you get a lot more impact out of fluky weird stuff. And when you are the underdog, as the Vikings very much were, you know, the Packers, they want to make that game a lot longer. They want to stretch that thing out. They want 15 possessions. The Vikings can't stop you for 15 possessions. They might be able to keep up for seven or eight, but they can't stop you for 15. So the Packers wanted that to be a longer game and the win kind of denied them the opportunity to do that. So, you know, the Packers have a couple possessions that are ruined by holding penalties. They have a pos couple possessions where they have to go for a weird fourth down because of the wind, and that ruins a possession that could have been a field goal. You know, they kicked, they they uh, would have kicked two field goals, and they ended up going for a fourth and nine and a fourth and ten, neither of which converted, that were in field goal range, like they would have kicked on a normal weather day, and then that would have tied the game, right? So I think there is some merit to shortening the game when you're the underdog. If you're favored, then this you shouldn't want to do this. But when you're a big, you know, touchdown underdog or more on the road again in the division, yeah, I think let's chase the weird fluky outcome. The Vikings got the fluky outcome and all wins count the same, man. So enough about time of possession. Let's talk about some of your questions. So Twitter Tuesday coming up. I asked you for questions. Got a whole bunch lined up, so stick around. All right, let's jump in to Twitter Tuesday. Took a lot of questions from you guys on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. Look out for the tweet sometime on Monday if you want to get in on this. The first one is a pair of questions. One comes from Wade Corporon, who asks how much of Sunday's defensive success is related to the strong wins at Lambeau. Uh, similarly, a question comes from Goggles, who asks how big of a fluke was the win on Sunday? How much should I actually get my hopes up that we could steal the seventh seed? So yeah, it was a super fluky win, right? You had like two possessions ruined by holding penalties that you had nothing to do with, and that was pretty much all it took to win the game. Came down to one score. The wind affected things a ton. Aaron Rodgers couldn't pass deep. Aaron Rodgers torched the Vikings deep in week one, and that option was taken away away from him, not because of the Vikings playing better, though I do think the secondary played pretty well, uh, but because the wind made it difficult to track balls, difficult to, to uh, 
to target things, difficult to be accurate. And, you know, if the wind takes one and you underthrow it a little bit, it could be an interception. So you just kind of have to win the game on the ground. And the Vikings had the advantage there. Uh, but on the second part of Goggles' question, how much should I actually get my hopes up that we could steal the seventh seed? Listen, here's the thing. The hardest, te- they don't have to play the Packers anymore. They they needed flukes to beat the Packers, but they might not need flukes to beat the rest of the team. I think the hardest team left on their schedule is Tampa Bay, which just eked out a win against the Giants on Monday night. So there could be a kind of a run here. Forrester93 asks, did the defensive game plan change in the second half or did execution just improve slash luck favor them more? So I think uh, put a pin in that. We'll probably get into it a little bit more in depth uh, on tomorrow's show. But I do think they got lucky with some penalties and some weird fourth downs. Like, I I don't know if their stops were all that legit. Like, I don't think it would be that legit of a stop if they, you know, marched down the field and kicked a field goal. But marching down the field and then taking two holding penalties and having to go for it on fourth and ten, that's a lot more helpful. And it just kind of happened that they all happened in the second half. But no, I I think the Vikings were clearly outmatched in this game and... I think luck just favored them more in the second half. Yeah, that's where I think that went. Skylar Gear Music asks, DB injury news doesn't look good. Thoughts on bringing in a veteran free agent or possibly a trade? And if so, which specific guys do you, would you like to see in purple? Let's win these next four and make some noise. Love that attitude. Uh, so specific guys, I don't know. There's old guys out there like Tremont Williams. I would doubt a trade. I don't think they're going to be buyers at the trade deadline. This is not a team that's like, you know, Tennessee or a team like the Rams, which by the way, uh, on Locked On NFL, I, I recommended, we recommended a couple of trades uh, for those teams and covered the Desmond King trade and stuff. So go check that out. Uh, but I don't think the Vikings are going to be buyers at the trade deadline. But yeah, you could bring in somebody old like Jermon Williams, you know, see if, if Terrence Newman still has anything. See, bring him in for a workout. See if they have any gas. Yeah, why not? Wade French asks, why didn't Weatherly wear these sick goggles when he was in Minnesota? I agree. They're uh, Weatherly was seen wearing awesome goggles on in the game uh, for Carolina during Thursday Night Football. Uh, Wade French posted a picture. I'll link it in the show notes so you can see. Um, I did not need to be aware of how mad I am about this, and now I am very mad about it. So uh, screw you, man. Jake V asks, is Ezra Cleveland's best future fit at right guard, left guard, or left tackle? I personally think his skill set is best at left tackle. Um, So Ezra Cleveland had a great game against the Packers. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. Um, But yeah, I I still think that his skill set, he's got a lot of length. He has a lot of lateral mobility. And I think that's best like as a pass protecting left tackle. It's a better fit for him, I think. And it's more valuable, right? I'd rather have a good left tackle and a bad right guard than uh, the other way around. But listen, if he's having success at right guard, if this keeps up, I'm a little bit hesitant to move on. Um, This is only one game, though, so we kind of have to wait and see. But if he, like, kills it and he, like, makes the Pro Bowl at right guard or something, yeah, don't screw with that and go do something else at left tackle, extend Reef or whatever, who's also having a nice season. Similar vein, Connor M. asks, as much as I would understand it, with how bad the guards are playing, do you believe that there's any situation that Ezra gets kept at guard? I don't believe in the long run would be beneficial, but then again, I'm not an NFL coach. And I'd say, sure, if they like him there enough, I think the same thing, right? If he, if he kills it, yeah, sure, then maybe they don't want to rock that boat and they like Reef. Reef is a captain, so I don't think they'd have any problem extending Reef and being like, all right, Riley Reef, you're our left tackle. Um, so, you know, they could just kind of lock in this configuration and then you'd have Bradbury and O'Neal. You'd be set at four or five O-line positions. It's a decent position. And I think if if that position bears out and, you know, it proves to be good for the Vikings. Yeah, I don't think they'd have any any problem with just locking that in and, and say, you know, let's go see if we can't find a better left guard than Dakota Dozier and roll out. Easy cheese wizard. <laughs> I love it. Asks, uh, defensive injuries and offensive line and offensive woes aside, what's going on with Colquitt? I haven't gone back and looked at the punting tape, but every time we punt, it always seems short. So uh, I'm not very good at at, at punting stuff. So I actually went and asked 
Chuck Zada, who is my like special teams expert. Uh, he write, wrote for Inside the Pylon for a while. He was a college kicker, so he knows this kind of stuff. Um, and basically, he said, for one, he's kind of out, like, he's more of a, you know, your drive stars at midfield, punt 42 yards and pin him inside, right? He's, he's a pin kind of guy. And I think that's more valuable than like just random field position between the 20s. Um, and I think that's like the point of of having a guy like Colquitt. But he's not a, you know, boot you out from your own 10 and boot them down to the 30 or anything like that. He's always been a 42 to 47 yard guy. And compound that with some kind of rough snaps from Austin Cutting. We saw it on the one extra point that got highlighted on the, on the broadcast against Green Bay. He's had some other ones. He's not cleaning them up like wh- quite well enough. He, c- he could clean them up better, and that's kind of part of your job as the punter is to clean up errant snaps, but Austin Cutting also has something to do with this. Justin Morlem says, why do teams feel like they need to extend players before the season starts? Just see how it plays out and then decide midseason. Cousins, for example, the Vikings would be in pretty good shape if they didn't extend him. Um, so I, I I think I agree with you in principle, but you do see this kind of rarely. And I think part of it is because, listen, a negotiation is a two-way street. This isn't Madden where you just get to hit a button and say, okay, sign now. All right? Players want to get this thing done. And if you don't get a contract done before the season, players might say, okay, well, now I have to focus on the season. You can't get a thing done as well. Um, I, I agree. I, I always thought that like I, w- I was advocating for if you're going to extend Kirk, do it after the draft. You know, maybe a, a Lamar Jackson falls to you and you want to have an option. You don't want to be married to your quarterback to do that. But, you know, maybe Kirk wanted it done and they wanted to do that, you know, with the 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 uh, make a little bit of cap space with it and whatever. And I disagreed with that, but I at least understood. Um, but a lot of times, you know, they have their ev- evaluation set. They know who they want to extend. Like, did you need to see Sunday to know that Dalvin Cook was good and that the Vikings would want to extend him? And running back value questions aside, like, d- you didn't need any more tape to evaluate Dalvin Cook. You knew he was good. But players want it kind of done right away and they don't want to play on a contract year and then suddenly you get hurt like look what almost happened to Ronnie Stanley where he signed a contract and then got hurt like three days later he was really flirting with it and if he got hurt there he's probably out millions and millions of dollars players don't want to take that risk Noah Morris asks why was Ezra Cleveland not starting at the beginning of the year so I've explained this a lot um but here's the thing with rookies they're not ready right away he had to flip positions learn new footwork never played guard before that takes time to learn. And if you put him in before he learns, you get a TJ Clemming. You put him in after he learns, you can use his athleticism. And we kind of saw that, right? The, the Atlanta game, he was not ready yet. Goes in for the bye, takes the bye to learn from his mistakes, and he comes out and he's better. That all totally adds up to me. And again, not ready to play doesn't mean not good enough to play. Again, this isn't Madden where guys incrementally improve as they practice and stuff like that for rookies. A lot of times for rookies, it's a matter of once they get the calls memorized, and sometimes they can't do that in a month. Sometimes the guy needs two months or three months to do that, and then they can get in mid-season. Rookies just take a minute, and we kind of got to be patient with that, and then they kind of flip it on, and they go from being completely untenable and irresponsible to put them on the field to, okay, now they can actually start playing, and they still might make some rookie mistakes, but now it's at least enough where we can use them as learning experiences instead of they're just going to like panic and totally fall apart. And the final one comes from Kieran Walls, who said, says, how scared are you that the Vikings don't draft a quarterback early and decide to roll with Cousins? Listen, I made my peace with that in March. When they extended him, we knew they weren't going to draft any quarterbacks that year or the year after, maybe even year the year after that, man. They're married to him, and I am near certain that they won't pick a quarterback. So I don't know if fear is the right word because I've already kind of accepted it. But hey, listen, it's still fun to post jersey swaps and talk about quarterbacks, and we're totally going to talk about it in the offseason. We'll talk about Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Lawrence, and all these guys because it's fun to think about, but don't get your hopes up, dude. They're not, they're not taking a quarterback. 
So tomorrow we're going to talk about Dalvin Cook. We're going to talk about the run game. We're going to talk about anything else that I find on the tape that I think is interesting. And I hope you stick around for that. But in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. Probably get some uh, early previews of that content. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. And as always, Skull.